G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au Someone had put a, a message on this list that they needed a medical scientist or somebody with lab experience to help improve a lab at a children's hospital in Cambodia. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I could do that job. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, last time on the program, we spoke with scientist Robin Devinish, who went through a rebellious period in her life and called herself a born-again atheist. We also heard how Robin eventually put her faith in the Lord to the delight of her son, Pastor Chris Brown, who we heard at the beginning of this series. Today, we'll pick up the story right after she put her faith in Jesus and was looking for a way to serve the Lord. We'll hear the incredible way God uses her unique gifts as a scientist for his glory in Cambodia. That's all coming up today as Robin Devinish continues to share her story. I was reading my emails Mm -hmm. and I belong to a medical lab technology email group Mm -hmm. and someone had put a, a message on this list that they needed a medical scientist or somebody with lab experience to help improve a lab at a children's hospital in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, I could do that job. And mm-hmm. then it was like a thunderbolt hit me. It was really amazing. I thought, this is what God wants me to do. This is what is spoken to me because I didn't want to particularly join a church. I wanted to go and do something for God. And um, so I wrote back and said, oh, I could be interested to the hospital director. And he wrote straight back and said, oh, are you the answer to our prayers? <laughs> so I just said, yes, yeah, straight away I'll come, not knowing anything what I was oh, wow. going to let myself in for. Yeah, so he asked you, are you the answer to our prayers? And you knew the answer. Yes. You were. Yes. And I thought, well, yes, that's what God wants me to do. And I didn't have any family commitments apart from my mum, who was still living at home by herself and well looked after. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to go for a year and that'll be fine. And I asked my boss and he gave me a year off work without pay and everyone was very supportive. Mm-hmm. And then... Of course, around this time before I left and after my conversion, I asked my son Chris if he would baptise me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was thrilled with that. Yeah, I was going to ask you, in general, what was their reaction when their prodigal mother returned to the Lord? Oh, they were just amazed and very, very happy and rejoicing. Yeah. <laughs> And so he got to, your pastor's son got to baptize you. How special was that? Yes. 
Yes, yes. And one of my cousins had a really nice little tiny pool in their front yard. So I just invited all my friends and relatives and Chris just did it in the pool and I gave a test to me. Mm-hmm. And my other son, he read something from the Bible and prayed for me. So I was able to witness to a lot of people as mm-hmm. well. And I just can't describe how happy I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Very special. And, I, I just, and it wasn't difficult. I didn't, uh, I just went with the flow <laughs> and everything. And it, there was, it was a huge thing to organise the airfares and getting there and the visas, and then I had a huge lot of supplies like syringes, needles. I I didn't know what to expect over there. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I ended up going with Singapore Airlines and they gave me free cargo that I didn't have to pay excess luggage. And the Singapore Airlines manager or somebody came and saw me off the I've got a photo somewhere of all the boxes of stuff I took over there. So. Yeah, so this was in 2001. You arrived yes, in Cambodia. Yes. You were thinking that you would only be there for a year. Yes, but little did you yes. know what was going to happen. Yes, yes. So it was run by mainly Americans, but and mm-hmm. one with Cambodian staff. And luckily for me, they had an English teacher there, so most of the staff including the lab, could speak some English, some mm-hmm. quite good. Mm-hmm. And the lab staff were just so beautiful, so intelligent, but they'd mm. never had anyone teach them properly. So after a year, I realised that I was never going to teach them everything that I needed to teach them. So... The problem I found was because of the Pol Pot regime killing off all the doctors and the universities and hospitals, that the doctors, not their fault, they just hadn't been taught about many diseases. So there was so much misdiagnosis because the labs didn't have the tests and the doctors didn't know the test, didn't know what to order. In any case, the labs couldn't do the test. So at the end of that first year, I I went back to Australia and I said to my boss, I'm in Royal Perth Hospital, I, I'm going to resign and, and go back and work full time. Yeah. Now, just a little history lesson. The Khmer Rouge regime decimated Cambodia in the late 1970s, targeting the educated for torture and execution. And you're saying some 30 years later, the country was still suffering from that atheistic, communistic regime. Is that right? Yes, because um, they just annihilated the whole intellectual state. And then, Mm -hmm. then Vietnam came in and rescued Cambodia from the Khmer Rouge. Mm -hmm. So, but the poor Cambodians had to then learn Vietnamese, anyone studying medicine or lab, or they were sent to Russia or somewhere like that to Mm -hmm. study. So they had to learn Russian. Oh, wow. Um, And then they'd, maybe there was a lot of French there too, because it was a French colony. So, so they had no, no textbooks, no nothing. So, all these reasons you're mentioning contributed to the medical community being many years behind the times. 
Yes, yes. Mm. And it, and there were a lot of expat doctors there who I was quite shocked who said to me, oh, don't, one's actually said, don't cast your pearls before swine because they don't, they're sort of dumb and they'll never know how to do the, <laughs> do the test oh. or the, and I was horrified yeah. and they were they're just as intelligent as us. It's yeah. just that they didn't have, they hadn't been taught or they didn't have the money to buy things. And so I was shocked. They thought you were wasting your time. Yeah. So I had to fight to improve the lab because mm-hmm. yeah. the hospital admin thought it was a waste of time. But so I, a lot of what I did, I did on my own back and paid for it myself or got free reagents from Australia. From mm-hmm. I used to go back and ask my colleagues for bits of reagents so that I could at least set the tests up and show them how to do it. So it was just so incredibly rewarding to, um, to know I was really teaching and saving lives. So in a nutshell, many of the lab tests, they weren't doing for blood tests. And therefore, a lot of patients were being misdiagnosed. Is that right? Yes, yes. So, for example, um, there was a lot of anemia. They were just treating it as though it was iron deficiency. But Mm -hmm. really, in Cambodia, there's a lot of thalassemia, which is a genetic hemoglobin disorder, which giving iron is the absolute wrong thing to do. Oh. Oh, no blood transfusions and they they said to me oh robin we don't get it here it's only in the mediterranean where it is but it's hugely prevalent in asia as well yeah so you must have been horrified i mean people were dying because they weren't being correctly diagnosed yes yes and you'd see these kids with great big fat tummies and because their spleens would get too big they'd Mm -hmm. never heard of hemophilia um, it's, that's the same prevalence anywhere. So. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a story about a young boy oh, who yes, had a swollen yes. knee. Oh, yes, yes. So there were a lot of young kids that would bleed a lot with mm-hmm. hemorrhagic dengue, which is from a mosquito virus borne disease. Mm-hmm. And so I knew if we could do the testing for bleeding disorders, we could help with the treatment and diagnose them. So in the meantime, um, I wasn't really thinking about haemophilia, which is a genetic hereditary disorder in boys where they can't stop bleeding if Mm -hmm. they get cut Mm -hmm. or hurt themselves. Anyway, one day this boy came in with a swollen knee. Literally, it was like the size of a football Mm. or a basketball. Yeah. (laughs) It was round. And he was in agony. And the surgeons there thought it was osteomyelitis. Well, that was the obvious thing to think um, because he wasn't, you know, there was no blood. But what happens in severe haemophiliacs is that just walking around on the joints can cause spontaneous bleeding inside the joint. Mm -hmm. So it gets very, very swollen. And this boy was about 12, I suppose, so he would have had it for a long time or since birth. And um, 
I said, oh, no, we should check for haemophilia, which we did, and he had haemophilia A, which is the most common one. And luckily we I'd been making this plasma from the blood, which we could give them as a substitute because we didn't have the factor eight there to give them. Um, but the surgeon wouldn't believe me and oh, he no. wanted to operate. So I, I just about had a fisticuff fight with him to stop him. Yeah. Well, what would have happened if he would have operated and cut his Oh, knee? well, he would have just bled to death or, yeah, so they just ooze. Oh, no. It's not like a spurting thing. And, in fact, later on, many years later, I was always having this fight with a lot of expat surgeons who were volunteering there who would cut people's legs because they'd think it was polio or, dis you know, the disjointed joint. And then the patient would just bleed and bleed and bleed. I think one young guy had, um, oh, he had about 200 bags of blood, which was in Cambodia. It's really hard to get that much blood. Yeah. And he ended up having his leg amputated up to his thigh nearly, and it was totally unnecessary because the doctors wouldn't listen to what I was trying to do. You've got to do these two simple, really, tests. Yeah. And one, some doctors had been told that the tests cost $1,000 to diagnose haemophilia and you have to go to Vietnam to get it done. So I got the reagent from Australia and taught the Cambodians how to do it. And then we got the machine donated. And, um, and then eventually the Ministry of Health could see what I was teaching. And they now, I got the money to buy the machines, but they're now buying the reagent. So... The whole country now can do the test. So wow, that I mean, took many years and many fighting and many experts yeah. saying, don't, "Don't bother. You can't treat the patient." We had limited ways to treat them, but I said, "It's not about treating them. It's about telling the parents what's wrong, so they don't spend their sell their cow and their livelihood with quack doctors trying to find why their son keeps bleeding. Mm. So it was just the peace of mind parents could get. It's just so sad to know that for years so many people were dying unnecessarily because they were mm. misdiagnosed. But you were able to change all that. Yes, yeah, so I, I still to this day feel incredibly humble that God chose me that you know he must have been after me all my life to <laughs> yeah, get yeah. me into lab and and know that once he called me I would go and and do that work so what ended up was that I went eventually got a job with in the government system at the public health laboratories and I was able to then go and visit all the government labs in Cambodia and teach them about quality control. And, yeah, so I ended up staying on and off about 15 years. Our guest today is once again scientist Robin Devonish sharing more of her incredible story and the remarkable way that God has used her to save thousands of lives in Cambodia. Next, we'll hear more about the impact she's had and she went on to become a recipient of the Order of Australia Medal. That's all coming up when we return right here 
Unreal Faith. Looking for resources to grow your faith? Check out Vision Christian Store with books, movies, audio CDs, DVD resources and more. Plus, free delivery on orders over $50. See visionstore.org.au You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today, Order of Australia Medal recipient Robin Devinish is our guest once again. She's sharing about the amazing impact she's had on the medical field in Cambodia. Next, we'll hear more of her story and about the many honors she's received. But first, we'll hear a fascinating story about her mother as Robin Devinish continues to share her life journey. So, I've been in Cambodia about three years. Mum was probably about 85 or something. My dad had passed away a long time before and mum started to get a few transitory strokes and she couldn't really live on her own anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had to make the decision, do I come back to Perth and look after my mum or do I still continue in Cambodia and do this amazing work? Yeah. So, again, I went to my Bible and asked God to show me what he wanted me to do. (laughs) And you won't believe the passage I got. It's another text that's in the Bible that says not to put your mother or your son or whatever before him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Well, I couldn't be more clear than that. Yeah. So, I thought, oh, I felt terrible putting my mum, I had to sell her house and put her in a nursing home, which which was terrible. She she was quite lucid, a little bit of dementia, but she went quietly, but she always said when Robin put me in jail and things like that, that made me feel awful. Mm-hmm. But I just felt I had to do this work in Cambodia. So... Mum was in this home for about 18 months, I think, and it was as nice as it could get, I suppose. And then later on, someone, a mutual friend, had um, that I'd known when I was a teenager, met Mum somewhere, and Mum was saying, oh, I'm available, I'm on my own. And anyway, he said, oh, I know this this guy, he's... um, 88 and he still lives on his own and his wife had died and they he got put them together well mum and this guy Len they fell madly in love <laughs> and at 90 we get had to get mum out of the nursing home and they got married and came and lived at this little seaside village where I'm now living oh wow and and they mum had seven glorious years of happiness with this man because oh. my dad was a um, philanderer and always going bankrupt. <laughs> and he was the most lovely Christian man. And oh. I think within three months of meeting, they were married. Hmm. And and I said to mum, look. God blessed you with this miracle because you let me carry on my work. 
and it's just the most amazing (laughs) story. Wow, that is is a great story. (laughs) Yes. So meanwhile, you could go back to Cambodia. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but we kind of got to sum up all the awards that you've received because of this work. But of course, the most important award is knowing you've saved thousands of people's lives. Yes, and the the wonderful thing is now that the and I still would be there, but of because of COVID. But yeah, yeah. Um, there was a reporter in in Cambodia who knew about me, and she asked to do a story on the ABC because mm-hmm. she knew yep. about my work. Yeah, and then people heard about that, and because of that interview, my Association of Medical Scientists. Um, gave me in 2018 the Medical Scientist of the Year Award, a lovely gold medal. Wow, Medical Scientist of the Year Award. Fantastic. Yes, and then after that, someone else nominated me for an Order of Australia medal, which Mm -hmm. I did get in 2019. But wait, there's more. Then you also received the STEM Hero Award from Pilbright Mines. What is that all about? Yes, so um, in Mandra, which is a little town 100 kilometres or uh, maybe not that far from Perth, and um, we wanted to try and encourage young people to get interested in um, science, technology, maths, um, we call it STEM subjects. Mm -hmm. And so I offered to join them as a volunteer and uh, help promote that and they just out of the blue gave me that award which is a lovely wow. surprise so that was after i got the um australian um yeah the medal of the order of australia award the oam yeah yes, well, i, I yes. think you could truly say that you are living the abundant life Yes, yes, yes. So even just this morning, I had an email from one of the, he's actually an American clinician working in Cambodia, thanking me because I often help them via email about um, hematological disorders. So Mm -hmm. it's wonderful to still be able to do that. And to this day, you're still helping in Cambodia. Yeah, well, I'm I'm 75 now, but I would still go back and help them, and they desperately need my help to improve the curriculum at the mm. university there, where they teach um, med lab science. Yeah, they still want you back there. Yes, yes. So um, I, it's just because of COVID that I'm I'm still here. So lucky to get yeah. this interview. <laughs> well, well, I'm blessed to speak with you. I, I'm just noticing the irony. Here in your 40s, you kind of walked away from the Lord and your church upbringing yeah. because you felt oh. that you weren't getting the abundant life. You wanted the abundant life, which you mistakenly thought was the wild partying kind of life in general. Yes, But yes, yet yes. you come back to the Lord, and now, as we're hearing, your cup overflows. Yes. I mean, this is the abundant life. Yes. Yes, 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 it is. And the, when I go back there now, the, the Cambodians just love me so much mm. and they're so proud to tell me that they are now teaching the next generation everything that I've taught them. So, Yeah, your legacy will continue for years and years to come. Yes, because a lot of NGOs go in and it all collapses 
second I leave. Yeah. So, well, unfortunately, yeah. we're almost completely out of time, but we have to end with this story. Your son, Chris, thought you were probably too humble to say this yourself, but I'm going to ask you to say it anyway, because it's such a great story. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the time you met the Nobel Laureate. Oh, okay. So while I was still working in Cambodia, um, one of my colleagues from, oh, very long time colleague from Royal Perth Hospital was running the annual medical scientist conference in Perth. Mm-hmm. And he asked me to come and give a talk about my work over there, which I said, oh, great, I'd love to do that because I think they've paid for my airfare. <laughs> I actually, I, I think I maybe brought one of my Cambodian colleagues with me as well. That was part of the deal. And um, anyway, I I had to give a talk. My talk was on the last day and I got, (laughs) I found out the person giving the talk after mine was Barry Marshall, the very famous Australian Nobel laureate who got the uh, Nobel Prize for Medicine for discovering the cause of ulcers mm-hmm. and um he so i was so nervous to be talking before yeah. him, but it ended up that he came up afterwards and thanked me and said oh robin is there anything you haven't done and um so i have a photo of myself with him with the gold medal so at that stage i didn't have my gold medals <laughs> yeah and your son said that he actually said to you, "You're my hero." Oh yes, he he may have said that. <laughs> my memory's not so good. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he was very amazed by what I'd done. Yes. Well, there's so much more that we can talk to you about, including yes. your time going to Liberia in the middle of an oh, Ebola yes, outbreak. Yes. We don't we don't have time in, in other countries, Mongolia, you've gone to so many things. Yeah, you need maybe. to write a book at some point, but you're too busy. We don't want you to stop yeah. saving people's lives to write a book, so keep on doing <laughs> what you're doing. But at yeah, some point, right. when you slow down, you got to get that book written. But thank you so much for sharing so much of your life with us today. Yes, I hope you got a good story and others can know that God is good and he can really direct your life no matter how bad you think you've been. Thank you so much for sharing. Our guest today has been Robin Devonish, who is a recipient of the Order of Australia Medal for her work in medical science and in particular her work in Cambodia. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Real Faith is a production of Vision Christian Media. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.